I want to start with a question and just ask you guys, how many of you have ever taken part in a sporting activity, a big school project, a home improvement, improvement project, or something like that? Everybody can relate to that to some degree, okay? During that time, as you think about that, did you ever feel like giving up? Okay? Yes. <laughs> Often, right? So what was it that motivated you to keep going? Just kind of think through those things and throw out some of your answers of things that motivated you to, to kind of persevere in that. The end result. The end result, right? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I figured that would be the t number one answer. Okay, any other, any other thoughts on that? Okay, the end result, the goal, right? So you're looking beyond all the obstacles that are in your way, and you're looking at whatever that end result is, right? The finished bedroom, the A in your class, the trophy in your sporting activity, whatever it may have been, right? Jeremy, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Okay, gotcha. So the, the, the consequences of, yeah, not falling, that can be a good motivator as well, okay? Well, as we, as we think about now this aspect of evangelism, and you can see on the top of your sheet, our, our session for today is, how do we keep going, all right? That deals with the issue of motivation. How do we make sure that this doesn't just become a class that we took, and now we're ready to move on to something else and leave this behind, right? How do we make sure that this becomes something, if it's not already, that's integrated deeply into our daily lives? That's what we want to think through. And another way that we can look at that is, as we've looked at Matthew 28 a number of times through this class, how do we make sure that we keep obeying the command of Christ to make disciples, which starts with evangelism? Okay? That's what we want to focus on this morning, and I want to give you a few basic ways that I think will help us to stay motivated in this regard. So the first point there on your handout is be convinced that the gospel is truly of first importance. Be convinced that the gospel is truly of first importance. When the Apostle Paul was writing his first letter to the believers at Corinth, there's many things that he discussed with them. If you've read through that letter, you're familiar with that. But he reminded them of the heart of the issue in chapter 15, when he says this in verses 3 and 4. If I can have somebody read that for us. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, so... I deliver to you as of first importance, okay? And what was the first importance? That Christ died for our sins, right? It's the heart of the gospel. So the gospel, the truth about Jesus, is the most important thing that a church can be concerned with. You get the gospel wrong, you get everything else wrong, okay? No matter how good your programs look and so on and so forth, if you're not building on the foundation of the gospel, then you build in vain. And so as we think about evangelism, if we're not communicating the right message to people, we may cause them to believe in vain, if they're believing something other than the truth of God's word. There are certainly other matters that are important to discuss, but nothing should eclipse the gospel 
for this prestigious spot as that which is of first importance. You know, when we think about the many things that are going on in the world and how many things are wrong with the world, the society in which we live, what we always want to remember is that everything that we see is a gospel issue. Everything wrong that we see is that way because the primary issue is man's separation from God, right? Back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve rebelled, their relationship with God was broken, their relationship with each other was broken, and their relationship with creation was broken. Right? So you see the consequences of that rebellion against God. Now, this is a very interactive class today, so what I'm going to have you guys do is, at your tables, what I want you to do is this. Forget the three or four, because this is when I was thinking we were in the family room, and I was going to have you break up into three or four, but since you're already at tables, not a long table like that, you've got to break that up. Okay, I want you to, on your smart devices, so it requires somebody at your table has a smart device, which I'm assuming everybody, at least somebody at each table does. I want you to go to a national news website. Okay, so either Fox News, ABC News, whatever other national website you want to go to. And what I want you to do as you see that is pick two or three headlines that pop up. And I want you to think about the consequences of sin that we see in Genesis 3 and how those are the root from which those headlines spring forth, okay? Think about how the gospel answers those issues. And the purpose of this exercise is to help you to think biblically. We want to have our gospel lenses on with everything that we see around us and not just get caught up in a particular issue, but think about why is this the way that it is? Or what is this issue saying about what we see back in Genesis 3 in the fall? and the consequences of sin, okay? I'm going to give you about five to ten minutes for you guys to pull that up, pick two or, the three, two or three headlines that you see pop up, and talk amongst yourselves about how that's a gospel issue, okay? So take that time to do that now. Okay, well, good. Thank you guys for, uh, hopefully that is helpful for you, and also an encouragement to don't let your mind get lazy when you're hearing things. Don't just kind of go with the flow of how things... See all these opportunities. See that comment that your coworker makes at the water cooler on Monday morning. And even if you don't answer it right then and there, think about how can I come back to that conversation and, and shed light on it from a gospel perspective. Okay? So it's to help, help you think biblically and take advantage of opportunities as people are talking about various things. We don't want to be silent about these things. God has an answer for them. And the way back, as we've discussed, to the restoration of all things is through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. You know, we could jump onto these. We could watch the nightly news or we could jump onto these news websites, right? And we can lament all day long about how tragic it is that things are the way they are. But listen, if we don't answer those laments with faithful gospel proclamation, we do nothing to advance genuine, lasting righteousness and the cause of God in this world. Okay? So listen, the gospel, you have to be convinced that the gospel is the answer for every ill that we see. 
and therefore we must be convinced that it's of first importance. It's the means through which God has appointed to change the world. And you have to be convinced of that. Okay? All right, number two on your outline. Pray like you are convinced the gospel is of first importance. Okay? Well, we can say all day long, yeah, the gospel is of first importance, but I think all of us can testify that our prayer lives will really validate if we believe that first point is actually true. We can profess it with our lips, but our prayers will indicate whether or not we believe that is really true. So our prayers for those who aren't believers should be guided by the reality that what they need most is the gospel. Perhaps you have unbelievers in your life, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, who come to you with prayer requests and regarding the certain troubles that are going on in their lives. We should certainly pray for those, but never apart from the greatest trouble that they have, which is separation from God and opposition to Him, before whom they will one day stand and give an account for their lives. So we need to pray like we really believe that the gospel is what they need most. And I think a passage that we've looked at a couple times during our, uh, our course is helpful in kind of guiding us in this. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. If somebody can read that for us. A couple things that I think are helpful to see from this, and you can jot these down if you want on your notes. What we see first here is that we should be praying steadfastly. Other translations say, devote yourselves to prayer. There's a perseverance that should mark the prayers of those who are convinced that the gospel is of first importance. And I want you to, I want you to think about this question. What at times can weaken our perseverance in praying for the lost. Give me some examples of things that can weaken your perseverance in praying for the lost. Our own trials. Good. Okay, say, say that again. Our own trials. Our own trials. We become weakened by it and Right, okay, right, so our own trials can obstruct our own perseverance in praying and praying for others. What's some other things that you've seen in your own life that have caused you, Diana Lynn? Where you look at a person and either train them or whatever, it seems like, yeah. and you just feel like they're never going to get saved. Absolutely, that was probably the number one thing that resonated with my heart was you look at that person and how they've been responding to either things that you've shared with them or that others have shared with them, and you don't see any inclination at all to the things of God. In fact, maybe it seems like it's getting, it's getting worse. But what, I was, what, what I've always been encouraged by, and I've mentioned this in other classes, is we ought not to be discouraged by the hardness of the hearts of those that we know and those that the Lord brings across our paths. We recognize, don't we, that the hardest heart 
is no match for an all-powerful God. In fact, God tells us in his word through his apostle Paul that Paul's conversion is a testimony of the power of the gospel and the ability for God to change any heart. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1 verses 15 and 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul says, I'm, I'm the worst sinner. And I know at times we can read that, well, Paul, you never met me, you know. But don't say that because then you're trying to trump the word of God, <laughs> right? Okay. So think about that reality. But Paul says, I receive mercy for this reason, that God would put me on display as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, God saved me. Listen, I wasn't looking for Jesus on the road to Damascus in the sense that I wanted him to save me. I was looking for his followers to persecute them. Okay, so Paul's not like his heart was, I'm somewhat inclined to this guy, Jesus. I'm really feeling pulled toward him, right? No love at all. Zero affection for Jesus. Total opposition to him. And Jesus says, you're mine. And everything changes from that day forward. So the hardness of that heart of that person that you talk to today, you could meet them again tomorrow, and they're totally changed. A new heart. They now love Jesus. And you're like, you just hated him yesterday. And you blasphemed him. You were doing all kinds of, saying all kinds of crazy things. That's the power of the gospel, and we have to be convinced of that. And we have to pray to that end, that God can change that heart. Okay, come Peter and then. Well, since the word of God is eternal, I would say that we shouldn't trump what, what Paul says there. I, I don't feel comfortable. Oh, oh, okay, I got you. Well, yeah, uh, probably that's a good question. Being that he ties it in, yeah, being that he ties it in with his conversion, he definitely is looking back, but Romans 7 would incline me to say that he's also still seeing his own wretchedness and probably even more as he looks at the depth of his own heart. Um, and, I, I, and I think we can readily testify to that, so I think he would say both. Yeah, in that. Audrey. Yes, amen. One day we were in darkness, and the next day we saw the light. Amen. And so that's why we never give up on Yes, exactly. Yep. And it's great how, again, the scriptures inform our prayers, right? So you're feeling weak, and you're like, man, there's no sign, and then you bump into Paul on the road to Damascus, and you're like, okay, there's no sign here either, right? That there's any inclination towards the things of the true and living God and, and Jesus, George. Yep. Mhm. I totally concur. Okay. So be so be encouraged. Let let passages of scripture like this infuse your prayer life for those who just seem totally as far away from God as they can possibly be. 
Don't let that discourage you. God is powerful, and the gospel is the means by which he opens eyes. Okay? So another thing I think that we can see here from Colossians 4 is that we ought to pray for an open door for the word, or another way of saying that is we're praying for an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to others, right? God calls us to pray for opportunities to bring the gospel to others. And we ought to be reminded here that we're engaged in spiritual warfare. The God of this world, which we're told in 2 Corinthians 4.4, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Therefore, we need to be praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And in conjunction with that, we ought to be praying for the heart of the person that we're speaking with, right? As we read in Acts 16.14, when Paul was sharing the gospel with a woman named Lydia, the text says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's, that's what we're praying for, right? All right, Lord, this is my 30-second conversation with this person. There's been a blank stare every time, but I'm trusting that you're able to do this for this person just like you did. I'm trusting that you can cause this person to pay attention to what I say this time and open their hearts, right? We recognize, we talked about last week, that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. Therefore, we must pray for the Lord to open hearts. And then the third thing that I think is helpful for us to pray about from Colossians 4 here is for us to open our mouths and make the gospel known, right? We can pray for opportunities, but when those opportunities arise, we've got to open our mouths and speak. We pray for opportunities, we pray for open hearts, and we pray that God opens our mouths as those opportunities arise. And then the last thing I want to say about prayer and its connection with the gospel being of first importance is found in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We must pray that we will see lost people as Jesus sees them here, as sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're trying to govern their own lives and feel their way through life, and we see them making all kinds of bad decisions just like we did, and to some extent as we still do. They're wandering through life on their own, in constant danger, heading towards certain death, unless a shepherd the true shepherd, comes to tend to their deplorable situation. And as we see them this way, we'll be motivated to pray earnestly to our Lord to send out laborers into the harvest of souls. We must pray earnestly for one another that God 
would make us aware of those around us. It's so easy to get caught up in our own little world at times, as Josh, Josh was saying, and forget about a dying world that is all around us. Okay? Go ahead. Yeah. Whatever it takes to remember. Yep. Speak Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Okay. Um, number three. How to keep going. The third way. Think of your life as a stewardship from God. I think we can all readily testify that the overwhelming message that resonates in our society today is that everything revolves around you, right? The consumer is king, so to speak. And it's interesting that the church is the one place that by her very nature opposes this mentality. It's not all about us. It's all about God and his glory and his fame being spread. Instead of being served as the church, we are to serve others, right? And while the world around us is trying to accumulate, Christians are called to give themselves and their things away for the cause of Christ. And when we think about our lives as stewardship, we recognize that a steward understands that he doesn't own anything that he has. But he's been entrusted with it. And he will one day give an account for that with which he has been entrusted. 1 Corinthians 6.20 reminds us of this principle. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. The owner will one day examine how faithfully we've discharged our duties with our lives that he has given to us. So we ought to see ourselves as stewards of the gospel. God has given this to us, this message to take and to bring to others. And as stewards, we give the gospel away in the same way that we received it, freely. So we should use all the resources that the Lord has given to us and think about how we can use them in every respect. The time that he's given us, the abilities that he's given us, the finances that he's given us. Think about how all those can be used for the cause of Christ and for the advancement of his kingdom. Okay, moving on here to the fourth one. Identify barriers to evangelism in your life and create new opportunities. It's natural for our evangelism to ebb and flow as we move into different seasons of life. And that's because in every season of life, we're given new opportunities for evangelism, but also new barriers as well. Barriers that we've never faced before, barriers that we can't even see because we don't even know to look for them. I, I, I can think, I can testify that to my own life with bringing a, a child into my life and how things were prior to that and, and things change and, and things step in and you got to think through, okay, how do I overcome this now? How do I use this new opportunity that the Lord has given me? And it, it's been a struggle for me to try to think through because I'm so used to just being like, all right, honey, I'm going out and I'm going to go preach the gospel for three or four hours and I'll be back later. And, and that's not as easy at, at times like this. So I have to be thinking through, okay, I have a new environment now, okay, which obviously my daughter is my primary evangelistic endeavor, 
not to put it, you know, in a crude way or anything like that, but I have a sinner with me all the time. I get to share the gospel with and, and to raise up and to, and to bring that here. And I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I love being a dad. I wouldn't change that for anything. But life changed and opportunities that I used to have in certain arenas of life weren't there as frequently. And so I have to learn to identify those barriers. And I think all of us can think through that, okay? Whether it's you were in school and you had those students around you all the time that you could bring the gospel to, and now you're in your workplace and those opportunities aren't as easy as they used to be. Or you move from one neighborhood to another and you had built relationships over here and now you got to think through how am I going to start this over again and just the, all the different barriers. But the important thing is that we identify those as quickly as we can and ask the Lord, all right, here's this new season of life for me. Help me to see how I can still utilize the gifts that you have given me to be evangelistic in my endeavors. George. identity for you is that she's not a big sinner, she's a little sinner. <laughs> right, right, yes, that's right. That's right. Okay, let's look at this last one. I'm sorry to kind of move through this quickly, but I realize that we're a little behind here. The last point here is keep eternity ever before your eyes. As we bring kind of this formal time of study together, as I mentioned last week, we'll have the Q&A. The last encouragement that I want to give you is this. Keep eternity ever before your eyes. Remember what's going to truly matter a hundred years from now when all of us are gone, more than likely, except for maybe some babies if the Lord gives them really long lives. Having been redeemed by God and gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, am I spending my short time here on this earth making known the only thing that will matter for all eternity, and that is this, how a sinful person can be pure in the presence of a holy God. When we, when we put all, all things aside, that's truly what's going to matter on that last day. And listen, whatever suffering we may endure for the sake of the gospel, the scripture tells us it's only going to add to the glory that's going to be revealed on that last day. And whatever suffering we may endure for the sake of the gospel, Listen, brothers and sisters, it's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to the eternal suffering that awaits the ungodly. So that reality should grip us. We should ponder often the fate of the unbeliever. And pondering that, let it move us with compassion and boldness and love and reaching out to them. I want to finish our time together by reading 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 18. So go ahead and turn there with me. We'll read this and then I'll pray. Second Corinthians 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. What an awesome passage that we have just read. As, it, as we think about evangelism and the reality of gospel proclamation, Father, would you grip our hearts with eternity? Help us to think about what will matter a hundred years from now, Lord. Break our hearts for those who are around us who don't know you. Help us to ponder often, I pray, the reality that they will stand before an all-holy God on the day of judgment. Oh, Father, the fear that ought to grip our hearts for them as we think about that reality and the joy that arises from the reality that we stand dressed in the righteousness of Christ and therefore we have great assurance. May we proclaim that freely to all those who are around us. We need help. We need grace. Pray that you would help us to overcome any fears that may arise in our hearts and may our fear be you alone, that you would be glorified. We feel weak, we feel inadequate at times. May it cause us to rest on the sufficiency of your word and of the power of the gospel. As we have read here, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing power may be seen that it's of you and not of us. So be glorified in all the opportunities that we have to magnify your name through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.